So King David is one of the most significant figures in Old Testament history. He's also a really significant figure in future history as well. If you want to check that out, you can look at Ezekiel chapter 34 and 37. Uh, But certain episodes of David's life are some of the very first stories children in Christian homes hear from the Bible. Now, today we're going to look not at one of his great triumphs, but as we've heard read just now, one of his mistakes. We don't do it to gloat or to suggest that we're better than him or to shake our heads at him. We're doing it because we're just like him. Uh, We are people who experience doubt and fear and uncertainty as we walk with God. We are people that need to make life decisions and sometimes uh, forget to, or rather choose not to make them according to God's purposes, but according to our own thoughts. Uh, And we are prone to missteps in our spiritual lives, just like David was. Studying these examples provided for us in scripture helps us to avoid similar mistakes And even better, they remind us of what is true about the grace of God, the presence of God, the power of God, the faithfulness of God, and his directives for our lives. In 1 Samuel 27, the year is 1012 BC, David is not king yet. He has served faithfully in Saul's court and as a general in the army. He has already slain Goliath and was anointed as the next king of Israel by Samuel, As Saul collapsed into paranoia and madness, he decided that David needed to die and he made multiple attempts on David's life. And more than once, David went on the run. And it was after one of these episodes of David being on the run from Saul, his father-in-law, the king of Israel, our text begins. In verse one, David said to himself, one of these days I'll be swept away by Saul. There's nothing better for me than to escape immediately to the land of the Philistines Then Saul will give up searching for me everywhere in Israel, and I'll escape from him. David is going to live for an extended period of time in Philistine territory. It's going to lead to disastrous, terrible consequences where David is separated from God, nearly loses his family, and becomes a barely recognizable version of the man he really was, the man we know him to be. The problem starts right there in the opening phrase, David said to himself. Research shows that 96% of adults have an internal dialogue with themselves, uh, but that only 25% will have that dialogue out loud. I'm one of those 25%. I'll speak to myself out loud. Anybody else willing to admit that? Okay, God bless 25% of you. But, you know, David wasn't just talking with himself. He wasn't just conversing with himself. He was counseling himself by himself. Uh, The term used here for said is a very common one. It's used thousands of times in the Old Testament, almost always meaning simply to say. Uh, There are times when it is translated as command, and it's interesting if we sort of put that interpretation on. I'm not saying that's how it's supposed to be translated, but David commanded himself. We see that he's convincing himself to do something he really shouldn't be doing. And there are other times when this term is used before God gives a revelation of some kind to men. And that's definitely something that David is doing for himself. What do we see him doing? He gives himself a prophecy and then uses it as a basis to make a major life decision, a major life change. He says, one of these days, not I might be, not I could be, but one of these days I will be swept away by Saul. Now we know from Acts chapter two that David was a prophet. 
But in this case, his prophecy was totally wrong. It didn't come from the Lord. It didn't come from his word. It didn't come from uh, anything that was really true. It came out of his own fear. It came out of his own analyzing of the circumstances and the probabilities of what might happen. And so he prophesied to himself. It came from his weariness. I don't want to make light of that. He had spent a lot of time running for his life with many close calls. I've never had to actually run for my life. And I haven't had to spend years running for my life. And there were some very close calls. There was a great a moment earlier where David and his guys are running around one side of the mountain and Saul and his guys are running around the other side. I mean, it was, it was close all the time. His life was in danger. And so we sympathize with the very difficult situation he found himself in. Uh, no mistaking. This is as, as hard as it gets. But instead of theorizing about what he thought was going to happen based off of the human circumstances, it would have been better for David to remind himself not of what could happen, but what had already happened. Because God had made David very specific promises, very clear promises, and then the Lord had backed them up by delivering David from Saul's hand again and again and again. When David was still in Saul's court with him day by day, Saul tried to pin David to a wall with a spear more than once, but the Lord delivered him. Saul sent a kill squad to get David in his own house, but the Lord delivered him. David was nearly betrayed and handed over to Saul by some people he rescued in the city of Keilah, but the Lord delivered him. At the stronghold of Horesh, in the wilderness of En Gedi, in the wilderness of Ziph, again and again and again, Saul pursued and he reached out to crush David, but every time the Lord delivered him, sometimes miraculously. In fact, just before our text, in chapter 26, we see that there was this close call situation. Saul and his guys were out right on the tail of David and his men, but the Lord caused a deep sleeping beauty-like sleep to fall on Saul and all of his men so that David could escape. Remember that in the old Disney Sleeping Beauty and the fairies go around and they put everybody in the kingdom to sleep? I loved that scene. And that's effectively what the Lord did. He just didn't need, you know, uh, cartoon fairies to do it. He put all of Saul and all of his men, his guard to sleep. And they were so asleep that David and one of his guys walk right into the tent where Saul is sleeping, surrounded by his royal guard. And they have this conversation about whether they're going to kill him or not. And so the Lord delivered and delivered and delivered and delivered. Now that's the conversation that David should have had with himself. What the Lord had done, what the Lord had said, how the Lord had proven himself strong and true. And that's what we should tell ourselves when we're struggling, when we're afraid, when we feel like the walls are closing in or our future is threatened in some way. Maybe you're not running for your life, but I'm sure all of you are facing some sort of strain, some sort of pressure, some sort of difficulty, some sort of uncertainty, some sort of worry or doubt. And the Lord tells us in his word through example and through instruction that we are to tell ourselves what God has said, what God has done, and to remind ourselves that those things are true. Now, David knew this. It was a principle he understood. He just wasn't living by it at this point in his life. And we know David knew it because at a different point in his life, he wrote Psalm 143. And in Psalm 143, David said this, for the enemy has pursued me, crushing me to the ground. My spirit is weak within me. My heart is overcome with dismay. 
And in 1 Samuel 27, he stops there and starts making decisions. He needed to continue into verse five where David then says, okay, with all of this crushing, all of this dismay, all of this weakness, he says, I remember the days of old. I meditate on all you, God, have done. I reflect on the work of your hands. You see, that's what guides a Christian to the right choices. We don't always know what the right choice is in life or in a difficult situation. It's not that we always have all of the specific answers. It's that we have a Lord who will always lead us. And so this is what guides us to the right choices. Herbert Lockyer, a Bible scholar, found that the word of God contains at least 7,147 promises from God to man. Not just promises of God, but from God to his people. The apostle Paul, he wrote the letter of Philippians while in prison, facing execution. From that position... Dark as it was, he said, astonishingly, don't worry about anything. The God of peace is with you. He will guard your heart. Instead of worrying, think about what is true. Dwell on what you have learned about the Lord and the promises he has made and the proofs he has shown. That was Paul's message to the Philippians and God's message to us as well. And so the first step in David's failure was that he spoke to himself rather than letting God speak to him. He knew better. But he gave in to fear. He reached for the quickest exit, the quickest ripcord. His solution was to go to the Philistines. Now, this is an absolute scandal of the highest order. One scholar says it would be like Winston Churchill spending 1914 to 1918 in Berlin currying the favor of the Kaiser. And that's true. Winston Churchill would one day be the great leader of the United Kingdom, but there during World War I, if he said, you know what, I'm going to leave London and I'm going to go to Germany and try to get the Kaiser to be really excited about me and I'll even do some things that he wants me to do. We've never seen a political scandal like that. Not only was it a scandal, it was just a bad idea. Empirically bad, objectively bad. Because David had already tried this idea once before and it went terribly. He crashed and burned. Uh, he fled to the very same city, came before the very same king. And as he walked into the court of the king, all of the servants there said, wait, isn't this the guy who's killed like 10,000 of us in battle? And then David had to think quick on his feet, suddenly act like a crazy person. I always love that scene because he walked in not acting like a crazy person. And then suddenly he starts like, you know, foaming at the mouth and clawing at the walls. And the king of the Philistines says, can you get this guy out of here? It was, you know, it was bad luck to kill a crazy person for the Philistines. And so they said, all right, get him out of here. So he barely escapes with his life. But in the human way of thinking, here we are in 1 Samuel 27. And he says, okay, what can I do to help myself? What can I do to save myself, to, to grant myself some security? Well, in the human way of thinking, this was the only safe place to go because Saul was a bit of a coward and he could not match the Philistines in military strength. And so David says, there's nothing better for me to do. Verse two, so David set out with his 600 men and went over to Achish, son of Maok, the king of Gath. David and his men stayed with Achish in Gath. Each man had his family with him. And David had his two wives, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail of Carmel, Nabal's widow. Gath was not only the capital city, it was also the home of Goliath. That's a little awkward, I'm guessing. As David strolled into town, they knew who David was. You know why they knew who David was? Because he killed Goliath of Gath. He killed the greatest warrior 
that the world at that time had probably ever seen. They, they killed the, the leading citizen of Philistia. That was his hometown. He was their biggest celebrity, literally their biggest celebrity. <laughs> and David killed him. And David used to walk around with Goliath's sword, particularly in this period of his life. I'm guessing he left the sword back at camp when he showed up to meet with King Achish. Goliath would have had family in the city. I mean, this is, this is a strange situation. The first time David fled to Gath, it was just him all alone. But this time it's different. The group he has in tow might be as many as two or 3,000 people, scholars think. 600 fighters plus all of their wives and all of their dependents. David's choices that he's making for himself out of fear and out of weariness, but these choices are impacting the physical, emotional, and spiritual lives of all the people around him. And you know what? Your choices impact the lives of the people around you as well. Because God has scattered you into a certain time and place. Why? So that you can connect with other people, so that you can bear particular spiritual fruit, walk in particular good works, be light in a particular dark area of this lost and dying world. And so when we make choices, good or bad, it has an impact on our families, has an impact on our communities, has an impact on the world around us. You don't make choices in a vacuum. As you make choices, those consequences ripple out to the people around you. Now, the group here may have been safe from Saul, but at what cost? Being there in Gath, they were cut off from the community of Israel, cut off from their tribal inheritance, cut off from worship in the Lord's tabernacle. They were separated from the unfolding purposes of God in the land. On top of that, they were living in the lair of their worst enemies, exposed to the danger there, exposed to the godlessness there, exposed to the pagan idolatry and perversion there. They're like lambs among hungry wolves. Now, I'm sure the fighters are thinking, well, we're not worried about it. We're not afraid of Philistines. David's probably thinking, yeah, I'm not going to become an idolater in the city of Gath. We're strong. We're able to handle it. What about your little boys and your little girls? What about your defenseless wives who have to face this culture, face this danger while you're off doing whatever it is you're doing? These choices are big and they're having very negative uh, impact on the people. This is, as about, uh, this is about as bad a situation as a group of God's people could be in. And the error is compounded when we realize that back in chapter 22, after David had fled to Gath the first time, the Lord intervened. So he fled to Gath, he barely escaped with his life, and the Lord says, okay, I'm going to intervene here. And he sends David a prophet named Gad, and here's what Gad told him from the Lord. He said, don't stay in the stronghold, leave and return to the land of Judah. That's where the Lord wanted him. And that time when David went back to Judah, then the Lord came and spoke to David directly and he gave him direction and encouragement. And while he was there, Jonathan, the son of Saul, the prince of Israel, he came and he renewed a covenant with David and he prophesied rightly to him that David would be the king and that Saul would never lay a hand on him. And Jonathan told David, don't be afraid. So all of this stuff happened where the Lord says, get out of Gath, get back to Judah. You're not going to be swept away. But here's David ignoring all of that, bypassing all of that, and just doing the math in his own head and making a decision based off of it. 
He knew these promises. He had received words from the Lord. He had a wise and spiritual wife who had given him excellent counsel before. He had a priest with him and an ephod. He had all of these things, but David ignored all of that and instead made the gut decision. Trust your gut. Your gut's dumb, right? Don't trust your gut. Trust the Lord. He's who, the one who knows. He's the one who reveals because the gut sends us to Gath, but the Lord sends us to Judah where it's like, well, but Lord, I'm in danger over there. And the Lord says, no, you're not. The place you're in danger is over here with this Philistine community. Verse four says, when it was reported to Saul that David had fled to Gath, he no longer searched for him. So here's a problem. On paper, the plan worked. Because he said, I got to get away from Saul. Well, you got away from Saul and Saul gave up. He wasn't going to invade the Philistine country in order to go after David. But man, this medicine had serious side effects. Some of you have to take serious medicine with serious side effects. But is the cure worth it in David's case? David had gone over with his fighters as far as the local, you know, the, the period press would have been concerned, this is an act of treason, right? He's not just vacationing in Gath. Him and his fighters are going over and, and, and to the looks of it are saying, we are now mercenaries for the Philistines. This is an act of treason. They're living with the king of the Philistines in his city. John Woodhouse writes, you do not live with a king except under his sway. What else would they have to concede? See, David's not really thinking about that yet. It's gonna start dawning on him in a minute. But what David sees is a place to hide. Meanwhile, King Achish of the Philistines, he sees servants to command. He sees people that are going to come before his throne and bow their knees, and that is what they're doing. We talk about settling. We tell young people not to settle when it comes to finding a spouse or finding a job. David was settling for a measure of temporary security at a disastrous spiritual cost. They couldn't have a proper worship life there. Now we know, well, well, you know, I can worship anywhere I am. Yeah, that's true. Paul worshiped in a dungeon. Yeah, that's true. But in the Old Testament dispensation, you had to worship in the Lord's house, in the tabernacle. David and his, his people here, they could not offer sacrifices. There were no feasts. They were isolated, exposed to a terrible culture. They were bowing their knees to a pagan king and they would have to keep making concessions. Now, David starts to realize this. And so after a time of living at Gath, he tries to soften the impact of his decisions. And here's what he says in verse five. Now, David said to Achish, if I found favor with you, let me be given a place in one of the outlying towns so I can live there. Why should your servant live in the royal city with you? That day, Achish gave Ziklag to him, and it still belongs to the kings of Judah today. What do we see here? David is relying on the favor, the term is grace, the grace of a Philistine king instead of trusting in the grace of God. And I'm trusting in the grace of God instead of whatever's happening back here. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> you know, we watched Peter Pan the other night with the kids. It's just Tinkerbell is all it is. You know, people love Tinkerbell. She's flying around. So, so David is relying on the favor, the grace of a Philistine king instead of trusting in the grace of God. What does David say here? He says, Achish, you protect me. You provide for me. You tell me where to go. 
When all the while, God had already been protecting him, already been providing for him, already telling him where to go. God was already doing these things for him and wanted to keep doing these things for him. But David said, no, I'm going to go over here to this guy whose people all want me dead and I'll see if he will give me what God has already offered to me. So David gets Ziklag, this city. Now I imagine this would have made him feel better in his heart in that internal dialogue he was happy having because Ziklag technically belonged to Israel. It was part of the possession that God gave back in the time of Joshua. But in the time of Joshua, Israel never took hold of it. They never conquered that area. And so for a long time, that area belonged to the Lord's enemies, to the Philistines. But David can say, well, I am technically in the boundaries of Judah's inheritance. So I'm technically obeying God. He told me to go back to Judah and I'm also obeying my new Philistine master. I'm doing both. It all worked out. But that's not true. We know you can't do both. It's obvious that David has compromised and that he is not following the Lord. But often when we are compromising spiritually, we convince ourselves in some way or another, pretzeling the word of God around and doing all of these backflips that it really is the right thing to do, that it is the godly thing to do. Yes, it's in contradiction to something very plain that I've read in the word of God, but look here, if you hold it up in a mirror and flip it upside down, I am supposed to be doing this. But we rationalize bad decisions in our hearts. Anyone could tell that David wasn't following the Lord in this situation, that he wasn't trusting the Lord. He was taking orders from God's enemies. How can we tell? He outs himself in verse five. Why should your servant live in the city with you? Your servant, the slayer of Goliath, the man who wrote Psalm 26, where we read, I do not sit with the worthless or associate with hypocrites. I hate a crowd of evildoers. I do not sit with the wicked. Yeah, that's David. That's the David we know and love. But in this period of his life, he was saying, I'm your servant now. Wow. That's, that's a big difference saying, I won't even be around a wicked person. I won't sit with them. I, I can't put up with that. And now he's saying, well, I'll, I'll serve the king of Gath. Verse seven, the length of time that David stayed in Philistine territory amounted to a year and four months. 16 months may not seem like a lot in the grand scheme, but remember the effect this would have on these families, no sacrifices, no feasts, no worship, no community, no presence of the Lord's glory, no accomplishing God's purposes in their lives. And what we see is that during that time, David became a brutal, lying marauder. Verse eight, David and his men went up and raided the Geshurites, the Gerzites, and the Amalekites. From ancient times, they had been the inhabitants of the region through Shur as far as the land of Egypt. Whenever David attacked the land, he did not leave a single person alive, either man or woman, but he took flocks, herds, donkeys, camels, clothing. He came back to Achish, who inquired, where did you raid today? David replied, the south country of Judah, the south country of the Jeremielites, or the south country of the Kenites. David did not let a man or woman live to be brought to Gath, for he said, or they'll inform on us and say, this is what David did. This was David's custom during the whole time that he stayed in Philistine territory. 
So Achish trusted David, thinking, since he has made himself repulsive to his people Israel, he will be my servant forever. Again, I suppose that David might have convinced himself that he was doing what God wanted. After all, these were peoples that were supposed to be conquered when Israel came into the land, right? So it's okay for me to wipe them all out now. That's not what's happening. And, and that's not the directive God gave him. Because after Israel, in the book of Joshua and Judges, we find that after Israel refused to really do what God asked them to do, the Lord said, I'm going to leave these people in the land because you need to learn to obey and you, you have chosen not to do what I've asked you to. And like I said, if you choose not to obey, well, then you're going to have all of these different problems. So David coming in here and wiping all of these people out is not okay. These were not enemy combatants. These are civilians. This isn't war where he's defending himself. This is just murder where he's butchering all of these people. It's obvious he's not doing this because it was something the Lord wanted him to do. He only attacked people who he could conveniently get rid of. And if you get into it, you notice that he only attacks people who were also enemies of the Philistines. This is something I didn't realize before. But this group of people that he's attacking, they're enemies of Israel, sure, or historically enemies of Israel, but they're also antagonistic against the Philistines. Now, he's still trying to cover it up so that King Achish doesn't know what he's doing. He wants to give a different impression to the king of the Philistines, but even if Achish found out, he could come in and say, well, hey, listen, yeah, I kind of lied to you, but I'm, I'm only killing people you already don't like. And so we see him trying to play both of these sides. His activities here weren't for the Lord. They're purely to finance his life in his Ziklag. And the way he was doing it was sickening. It was wrong. The great grandson of Ruth became totally ruthless. He killed everybody. You know, when David was king and he had all the power and when he was going out in God's power and strength and when the Lord was giving him victory on every side during those battles... David didn't show this kind of ruthlessness. David had a measure of mercy even in those times. For example, when uh, he fought against the Moabites and defeated them, he left one third of them alive. When he fought the Amorites, he didn't wipe them all out. He, he subjugated them and made them workers. And so he would subject foreign enemies and he would kill soldiers. He wouldn't butcher whole towns of men, women, and children. And we're told that when he's king and when he was walking with the Lord, he administered justice and righteousness for all his people. Now, while in Ziklag here, he killed everyone. Again, not because the Lord told him to, but because he needed to in order to cover his tracks. And verse 11 says something interesting. It says, this was David's custom in Ziklag. It's a term that also means this was the justice of David during his stay in Ziklag. But we know it wasn't real justice at all. It certainly wasn't a justice that had any mercy or any compassion in it like David normally would or like our Lord would have. It was self-serving. It was without mercy. But David had made these decisions and as he's spiraling down into selfishness and into ruin, he has to keep, keep making decision after decision. He has to keep lying, keep covering those lies. But as we see in verse 12, this lifestyle of lying was dry, bringing David deeper and deeper into the grip of the Philistine king, where the Philistine king said, now this guy's mine. Now I have him forever. 
That's not really what David wanted. He just wanted a place to lay low from Saul, but these sinful choices are trapping him. They're binding him because that's what sin does. It binds us. The situation came to a head in chapter 28. Look at verse one. At that time, the Philistines gathered their military units into one army to fight against Israel. So Achish said to David, you know, of course, that you and your men must march out in the army with me. What a chilling thing that would have been to hear. You know, of course, you're not just living here. You're one of us now. And you're gonna put on your swords and you're gonna go and you're gonna go kill people from Judah. And you have to do it. You see, we can't serve two masters. We can try and it might seem to work out for a while, but eventually we have to choose. You'll love one and hate the other. Will we go God's way or will we go the way of the enemy? That's the choice. The problem is when it came to a head, when the choice came, David's trust in the Lord was weak. It had faltered. The pulse of his faith was barely registering. V. Phillips Long writes, when faith falters, dubious actions often follow. So let's see how David responded. Verse two, David replied to Achish, good, you'll find out what your servant can do. So Achish said to David, very well, I'll appoint you as my permanent bodyguard. My goodness. These are not the words of Judas Iscariot or Lot or Cain or any other wicked character in in the Bible or Absalom, Simon Magus, one of these people. This is David, the sweet psalmist of Israel saying, good, I'll do what you want me to do. None of us are immune from spiritual missteps. That's why we need to pay attention to these biblical examples. And we need to pay attention then to how we're making decisions in our lives. What are the natural conclusions of the choices we're making? What is motivating those choices? Is it fear of circumstances or the fear of God? Are we being directed by human worries, human philosophies, or by the leading of the Holy Spirit? Are we spiraling into doubt Or are we reminding ourselves of the truths of God as he has revealed them to us? The apostle Paul gave us this encouragement in 1 Corinthians 10. He says, so whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. Now we shouldn't read that as like, watch out. There's a spring loaded thing and you better be be freaked out because you're gonna get knocked over at any second. That's not why the Lord, God, the Holy Spirit gave us that message through Paul. It's meant to be instructive. It's meant to build us up. He says, hey, be careful people. And we want to be careful people. Why? Because we are prone to make mistakes. Like the old hymn says, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Like that one individual said in the New Testament, the, the, you know, the, the spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. God, I believe, help my unbelief. And so the Lord knows that we're weak. And he says, and so I'm here to strengthen you. And part of me strengthening you is to remind you to be careful and to pay attention and and think through the choices that you're making and allow me to direct you and to lead you and to help you know which way you should go. David isn't making a mistake that the rest of us couldn't make. Now, ours might be less historic, less bloody, uh, but the danger is the same to walk off the road of God's leading, to walk out of the realm of God's protection and off into some other scheme where we think we've got it all figured out based off of our gut, based off of the probability, based off of some promise from some earthly king. 
Here's David ready to fight his own brothers on behalf of a fish-worshiping pagan because he's afraid the guy God has delivered him from over and over might finally get him one day. That's what's going on. And it's just because he started making these mistakes of giving into fear, giving into worry, forgetting what God had said and what God had done, forgetting to trust in the Lord and saying, no, I'm, I'm going to trust my gut. I'm gonna trust in the weapons of the world and see how that works out. Now, luckily... The only good news in this story is God because God was still present with David even in 1 Samuel 28 too, where we are shocked and scandalized at what he has said and done. And the Lord is there with him. Even though David was AWOL from Israel, even though David had in a sense turned his back on the Lord and said, I'm gonna protect myself instead of that. I'm gonna look to the grace of a Philistine instead of the Lord. Even still, the Lord was with him. And if you continue this story, you find that by providence, God made sure that David would be rejected by the other Philistine leaders and that he wouldn't have to go into this battle. And we learn again and again that God is faithful even when we are unfaithful, that God's grace can redeem us even if we've gotten ourselves into a terrible mess, that he can bring beauty from ashes because of the power of his tender and gracious love. That doesn't mean everything was magically fixed. Uh, David could just be like, all right, it doesn't matter what I do. No, there's some real consequences. When David leaves this meeting and goes back to Ziklag, we find that the city has been burned and all the families are gone, carried away by the enemies of God. It's a climactic object lesson of a spiritual truth we learn in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 3, beginning in verse 11. No one can lay any foundation other than what has been laid down. That foundation is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become obvious. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. If anyone's work that he has built survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will experience loss, but he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So David's work, if we want to call it that, for these 16 months, it was the wood, hay, and stubble of Ziklag, and in that day, it burned up. In a moment, it was all taken away. He lost everything. His 600 troops were about to stone him to death because of what had happened to their families. And then facing that defeat, David finally did what we wish he would have done back in chapter 27, verse one. And we're told that he found strength in the Lord, his God. Not in the might of a Philistine army, not in the plunder of the Geshurites, not in the schemes he had to save his own life, not in the good graces, graces of some Philistine king. He remembered who he was and whose he was. He remembered what the Lord God had said and he believed and he remembered that God can be trusted, that God has spoken and that God will lead if we will follow. And because God is a God of grace, he was right there ready and willing to scoop David back up into his hand of protection, into his loving embrace. The Lord was there all along, ever gracious, ever faithful, ever kind, ever true. And then he empowered David and his men to run after their families and the people who had kidnapped them to overtake them, to win them back. And not a single one of their, their family members was lost, all because of God's grace, not because of David's greatness. The same God is speaking to us today. The same God is desiring to lead you and guide you and direct you and use you today. He has definite opinions and directives for your life. 
His desire is to give you peace and purpose as you live out your life in the place and with the people he has assigned you. Yes, there are fearful things that come against us, but our strength is not in any worldly supply. It is in the Lord and his word. He will not allow you to be swept away because he has made a covenant with you, a covenant based off of tender love. He is trustworthy. He is here to restore and to reinforce and to refine you day by day as you walk with him. So find refuge in him, not in a Philistine king. If you hear this and you realize that maybe you're making a David-like mistake in your life, then just do what David did at the end of the story. Just find strength in the Lord your God. Remember what he has done. Remember what he has said. Go to his word and find out his promises for you and pour out your heart to him. Believe what he has said. Listen for his direction. All who take refuge in him are happy because we can cast our cares on him. He will care for us. And we're told that he cares for those who take refuge in him. 